Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. Once again, I'm Katherine Troyer, and once again, I'm so excited to be joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there. This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our conversation about 2001's Jason X. Although I'll hop in, I guess, with a quick correction. That 2001 is only for folks who are in Spain. Did not, uh, it did not release uh. wide uh, until 2002 over in the States. I just want to hop in with a little pre-show fact check. <laughs> I feel like that little factoid is a perfect example of just the Friday the 13th franchise. That like every film that's the final film, it's like with this giant asterisk, of bite, but not really. Um, Every film like release date, it's like, but just kidding, kind of not really. So I'm glad that, you know, we are continuing the tradition of everything having a giant like qualifier attached to it. And I, what I think is really funny about that too is... They kind of tried to shoot for around a Friday the 13th release with uh, the Spain release. It was released around oh. November 9th. But uh, in, in the U.S., they, 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 not a consideration. A April 26th. Yes, which is, you know, the Friday the 13th of someone else's time. I don't know. Like, that's such a weird random time. Although I guess we, as we've kind of talked about before, they lost a lot of the weird rights uh, to the uh, rights yes. to the property along the ways. I think at this point, they still were not fully able to use the 13th element of the Friday the 13th franchise. Because yes. uh, like yes. many things in this movie, it was uh, things were being made up unintended on the fly. <laughs> it is definitely true that the most interesting part about Friday the 13th is considering it as a franchise and considering what remains to this day my favorite part, which is every time that you're like, but wait, they truly said this, they believe, is the best film that's ever been made, not just in the franchise, but maybe period. And I love that like narrative of, of the films. And I actually liked Jason X, but you told me that this was the one time that they didn't like assume that they'd created God's gift to the world. Uh, no, this was not God's gift to the world. This was... Uh... This was their gift to fans and uh, their ploy to keep audience interest up in the franchise while their other project was stuck in development hell. So I guess uh, this is as good a place as any to hop in with the little history yeah. uh, of this film. So this was not intended to be the next, the, the follow-up uh, to, oh God, I can't even remember what the last one was. <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell? Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so th this was not intended as the follow-up to Jason Goes to Hell. As it was teased at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, it was supposed to be the Nightmare on Elm Street crossover. Because we kind of see that tease at the end of that film, which is one of the few exciting moments of that entire film. <laughs> but then that project got stuck in development hell. 
So the two producing teams of the project behind the Friday franchise and the Nightmare franchise, they were butting heads who were not really able to agree on anything, get the story off the ground. And then once they were, it was just taking forever. So producers were really worried that uh, audiences might be losing interest in the franchise and or might forget about this character. Although I'm not sure how that could possibly be true. Yeah, that seems like a very strange fear to have. A super strange fear to to have after having released as many films as you did to be like, but what if they forget? <laughs> yeah, but in their defense, they do have so many films that were released within like a year of each other that, you know, they might think that the audience's bandwidth really is that small because there was a little bit of time between Ghost to Hell and Jason X, right? There was because the development hell took place for a while. So Jason Goes to Hell came out in 1993. Jason X came out in 2002. And then Freddy vs. Jason came out in 2003. 2003. Shout out to the internet for knowing all of that. So, you know, in their defense, we have Friday the 13th, the original 1980, through Friday the 13th part, what, five, six, eight, happening in a nine-year span. So we essentially have a film a year, almost, not quite, for, for several years. So I guess... It is almost a decade, so they could have been worried. It, again, it feels very a strange worry, but nevertheless. No, I guess that's a good that's a good point to put it in perspective and context of the larger era. Because when they found out that Freddie, when they being Jim Isaac and Sean Cunningham, they found out that Freddie versus Jason was not moving forward in the late 1990s. That was when they started kind of shopping around some different ideas. And the idea for the story actually came from one of the actors who played Dallas in the film. Uh, He was also the writer, Todd Farmer. And he he was like, I mean, we were were joking about this a little bit before we got on here. They lovingly inspired by ripped off the Aliens movie. It was basically the pitch was, what if we put Jason in an alien situation and just really lean into the sci-fi elements of the franchise it'll allow us to do something a little bit different with the with the character and it will also just like allow us to keep the character in the minds of the audiences because since we can't do what we really want to do which is freddy versus jason so this feels like a good place for you to give us our non-spoiler plot summary so we know that jason is going to make it to space tell us more yeah, so we don't begin in space, though. We actually be- begin in the distant land of 2008 in a government complex. <laughs> they've The government has captured Jason, and they've got him in Camp Crystal Lake Research Facility. And these two factions are warring over what to do with him. Should they keep him locked up for safety, or can they use try to use his re-healing abilities to, for, for science and perhaps profit? But before they can do any of that, Jason breaks free, kills everybody except for this one scientist named Rowan, and they get both of them. They get cornered in the cryogenic chamber. They he they threw some uh, accident in the chamber with the blood splattering and being stabbed through the chamber. The liquid breaks out, freezes all of them, and they are stuck and they become frozen for over four hundred years. And till they are defrauded by a team of space travelers <laughs> who yes. are, have come back to old Earth. And they've found these two. And they all have various motives, but it's really this, like, researcher with a bunch of students, really. That's kind of the ultimate dynamic. Uh, 
Uh, and we kind of learn that this head researcher is a Como se dice, a bit of a scumbag, and he's down, he needs money, <laughs> and so he's going to try to sell Jason Voorhees, this internationally renowned, I guess, <laughs> supervillain, essentially, for profit on the black market. But, bum bum bum, but not before Jason kills. Yes. One of my favorite things that happens so often in horror, but it happens really very much on the, the down low, is... The number of times that horror texts very accurately portray a version of higher ed and do so not, but it's not a like higher ed horror. So there are examples of, of horror that are set in higher ed. I'll still never forget. There's a book called Conjurer's Wife. And the premise is, is what if all of these professors, male professors, all of their successes are due to the fact that the women in their lives are witches. And so it's like, dear heavens, heaven forbid that, you know, a woman uh, have power and control over a man's life. And it's, but like there are books and, and movies that fit within that sort of higher ed angle. But this is definitely just an example. And like Midsommar does it as well, right? Where there are just these little moments like in Midsommar, they're like, yeah, I think I'm stealing your thesis idea. And then, you know, it pivots onward. And this whole idea of like their students, there's a line where he says, you know, um, what do they get out of it? And they're like, they get the research experience, <laughs> you know, and just that like refrain um, is a very familiar one. And it just cracks me up every time that the horror genre captures higher education just a little bit better than, than maybe any other form of media. I guess that perhaps uh, I've heard that film school is a dark place. So perhaps this it's that true. dynamic that inspires such creativity. Yes, that is true. That would be excellent. And one of the texts we should talk about at some point actually is Master, the one that is fully set uh, in higher ed. So believe it or not, there is actually scholarship on... Jason X. Would not believe it when you told me. Yeah. But I had to like really refine my search criteria because when I just type in Jason X, it it's not sure what to do with that X. And so it kept giving me like all of this biology stuff and hmm. talking about like cells. And I was like, this is this is not right. Uh so I had to add like Jason and then horror and I had to add space. And then a couple of things popped up. Of course, there's still Wickham Clayton's uh, see Cut Kill, which is an investigation of the entire Friday the 13th franchise, because of course that's that's sort of the definitive book on it. But I want to talk about a book called Horror in Space, Critical mm -hmm. Essays on a Film Subgenre. Yep. Uh, it's edited by Michelle Brittany, and it came out in 2017. And the anthology has everything from, of course, discussions about the thing to discussions about of course, Alien's going to come in, but but lots of different things. But there's an, a chapter by someone named Kevin Chabot, Chabot, I don't know how one says it. He's at a university in Canada that maybe has one of the best titles because it reminds you that Jason X was not the only one that decided to move a franchise into space. So the title of the article is Leprechaun 4 and Jason X, Camp, Paracinema, and the Postmodern Sequel. So... Leprechaun 4 also decided to take things into space as an attempt to revamp a genre and revamp a franchise that they were a little worried had gotten stale. So, you know, we have somewhere in that franchise, we have Leprechaun in the Hood, and I can never remember if that one comes before or after. Um, but then we eventually go to space. I know. At some point, we'll have to do we the Leprechaun to talk franchise. About As you're describing yes. this, I didn't, I had no idea it got this absurd. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's going to get real exciting. So may, that may have to be our, our next franchise as we are almost done with Friday the 13th. But 
in the introduction to this anthology of, of essays, Brittany gives uh, a couple of really clear explanations about what space horror is. And of course, because Jason X is essentially alien, but with Jason, uh, it's meeting, it's ticking all of these boxes. So of course, it's defined by its use of location. It's defined by its use of a high body count. And then it often has an alien antagonist, which Jason really is. It's just he's humanoid, but he's still treated as an alien form. And then there is an audience will follow a handful of characters because you're usually on a ship, so there's a limited number of folks. There may be a final girl or at least a couple of characters that survive at the end. There is a military and or corporate entity present that might have a secret agenda. There is an android that might complicate and unsettle the main protagonist. And then, of course, there's the idea that space travel is difficult and it is something that, that requires a physical and psychological toll. I would say that uh, Jason X seems to fit almost all of those criteria, like to a T. Yeah, it really does, which again, I think makes sense if it's going to be modeled off of perhaps one of the, the sort of like core texts of what space horror is today, right? For sure. Alien. Yeah. And then in the article that's specifically on Leprechaun 4, just I can't, I can't not laugh. And uh, Jason X, Shabbat studies basically what the novelty of putting these franchises in space accomplishes. And then also just sort of the insight that they offer into the space horror genre in the late 20th century. One of the other things I just wanted to mention, because I thought I didn't know this and I thought it was really, really interesting, is that the history of the space horror actually goes back to 1910. So there was a five-minute short called A Trip to Mars, directed by Ashley Miller, and it was the first time science fiction and horror collided. The scientist discovers a powder that allows him to reverse gravity. So he spills some on himself and travels to Mars. And then, of course, stuff happens. And, of course, that, that ties in nicely with a trip to the moon, right? Which would have also has a sort of, I don't know, vaguely horrific element in there. Although that one's definitely more science fiction. So even though we think of it really as being like a 1950s or 1970s product, this has always been something that has terrorized us long before we even knew we could go to space. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. We hadn't even gone there, but this... The stars still terrified us. I guess there's exactly. something about the vastness of it. There really is, which is interesting. So what do you want to talk about, about Jason X? I guess I haven't revealed my own personal opinion about the film yet, yeah. which is I rather enjoyed this one. I, I, in my research for it, I was kind of, I guess, not surprised, but because not surprised because of how negatively this franchise has been received before. But this has got some of the worst reviews of the entire huh. franchise by far. Like, I, yeah, it was like, Roger Ebert has like a really awful quote about it. Huh. Um, this sucks on so many levels, he says in his oh, point wow. half a star review of the film, which I, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's just unnecessarily mean and misses the point of the movie. Not to be disrespectful to the great Roger Ebert, R.I.P., but I, but I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I think this film is a lot of fun in a way that the last few films have felt a little bit soulless and like made by committee. This one at least feels very clearly articulating a vision. And I think honestly, from that simplicity, it's, I mean, it is just Jason in space for all intents and purposes. Yeah. They don't, they don't overcomplicate it. I mean, and the characters are a lot of 
they're kind of weird and fun. The, mm-hmm. the students are all have their own like weird voice. There's even like a weird robot character on the ship. There's this whole chain of command. Like I mentioned, the professor who's leading them has his own ulterior motives, which kind of adds some tension throughout. And honestly, the kills in this are really well done. I mean, I'm going to be thinking yes. about that scene in which Jason Graz puts the students, the research, the grad student's head in the vat yes. of cryogenic freezer thing or whatever, and like freezes her and then smashes her head on the counter. I'm like that or the scene when he like shoots at the his he he has his whip chains and he's right everybody at the beginning there's a lot of really good stuff in this film and it kept my attention in a way that i honestly can't say that uh every film within this franchise has so one of the things we've talked about as we've been working our way through the franchise is this tension in the franchise itself of whether or not jason is supposed to be nearly supernatural right if, if if we can just say like he is definitely not just a, a gentleman in a mask but he's like there's something special about him mm-hmm. and some films have have skirted that right and some have just hoped that no one would bother to to wonder why he's still alive and i appreciated that this film just sort of committed to that bit right yes they were like this is for sure going to be a supernatural situation and we're just going to carry that that theme through and I think that you're right that this felt like it had a clearer vision, especially as opposed to com- some of the last ones. But it also kept, I think, some of the best parts of the franchise, which is, like you said, we have a weird, quirky crew um, of folks. We have these moments where you're like, I'm not sure why that was in the film, but that feels right for a Jason film, like the the scene between the professor and his student. Oh, um, yeah. You know, when he's wearing the like purple negligee. And so weird, not how I would have spent two minutes of my 90-minute film time, but it is pretty fitting considering that that this franchise has always been like, let's just stay here in this weird place for just a couple more minutes. Yeah, I that I that's an that is a, a classic example of uh, Friday the thirteenth bizarre character moment. And oftentimes I think we've talked about how they've just been like I think because the characters in the past have been so obnoxious. Uh, yes. particularly yeah particularly in the last four they've just been so obnoxious that it's kind of hard to when they do these bizarre character moments you roll your eyes this one is like i mean it's also bizarre i'm not going to stand here and try to like the nipple torture oh, scene yeah. as like not insane and a weird choice in the movie but uh, yeah it's weirdly fitting for like this the horny overtone over and undertones of the friday the 13th franchise yeah i think that's a good the horny over and undertones is a pretty accurate explanation of, of what it is. And I think that the film, maybe because it's set in space, and so it's it's adding this element of of the unknown that like, but the characters, it's okay that all of them are sort of stock character types because they're fitting within a, a pretty familiar, like we don't need to know anything more about the grunts than the fact that they're called grunts because we know exactly what that means. We don't need a backstory for them. Uh, we don't really need a backstory for anyone. And some of the other franchises have suffered because we did actually need that to make things be interesting. And in this case, that's not what's happening. That's a good point. Like, I think a lot, some of the other Friday films have been like, tried to go weirdly intimate and be like yes. these interior character study movies, I guess, because they were trying to win Oscars. Literally, not <laughs> at, Go back and listen to some I of know. those earlier episodes. That's not a joke. Yes. That's my favorite, favorite <laughs> um, detail. 
but I, I, they're yeah they're weirdly interior in a way that this movie is not it's a lot more it, it is a lot more show and don't tell in a way that yes. I think the franchise has been getting away from. And so I think yes. just honestly, like this simple return to form. Yeah, there's there's some fat on this movie that's not that mm-hmm. long and pretty common of the entire franchise, though. Yes. But I think that this film is at least has an energy about it that I don't know. It was It's, it's very fun to watch. And I quite liked his. I quite liked Jason's transformation from like sci-fi regenerative regrowth ability. They kill him. And then I loved Cyborg Jason. Or I yes. saw that I know that the, the, the tie-ins were trying to call him Jason X, but fans yes. seem to call him Jason Uber. That's hysterical. That's a really good word though. He really is like Uber. I think you're right though, that first Jason is fun in this one. And Jason is is you know, we've we've watched a couple films where Jason was almost accidental to the film. And and this one, he's at its core. I think the film also acknowledged that the franchise has never successfully had a final girl. Because Rowan, who's the one who's, you know, uh, cryogenically frozen with him, we don't have to hear her backstory. We don't hear how, you know, her family was destroyed by Voorhees and that's why she became... She's a project manager. That's like the end of her backstory. Yeah. And she never, you know, there was one moment where she the character takes off her sweater and I was like, oh my gosh, is she going to like suddenly go Rambo style? And she doesn't. She grabs a gun at one point, but like there's really no attempt with her. They do it a little bit more with the android, but there's really no attempt to like have a final girl with a tragic background because honestly, after Tommy and particularly after Friday the 13th, the final chapter, I'm not sure we will ever again manage to have like, it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street where we have Heather. Like, it's just not going to be the case. And it's not ever going to be the case. I just not. It's not necessary to the core of the franchise in the way that like no. something like night. It is to Nightmare or or even or even Halloween. But yeah, I so I think focusing in on what works about the franchise is Jason. Yes. And this movie, by having him at the core in both the cold from everything from the cold open, which I actually thought worked. It's that yep. cold open in two th- in the government, 2008. We normally complain about those. But it was super, it was vi- right to, we get right to the action. Where we, exactly. see, we see Jason pretty early on. We introduce this conflict. We have this insane opening fight scene. Everybody dies in a, in a spectacular fashion. And then we are sent into space rather quickly. It's not like uh, Jason goes to Manhattan or goes to hell where yes. we are waiting for the premise. We're waiting for the premise to kick in for the entire film. Yeah, and if Jason takes Manhattan, waits until the last 45 minutes, of course, Jason goes to hell, waits until the last minute or right. so before before giving us that. So you're right. I It's actually surprising that it's not like Jason X, Jason goes to space because for once they're actually like upholding their, their promise. Uh, but just again, Jason X. I think too, the film is, quirky and in, in its decisions about um you know it doesn't try super hard and i'm glad it didn't to like make the space element make a lot of sense like they are definitely wearing clothes from the 2000s for sure a little bit weirder but like most of that is clothes that i remember very distinctly from the early aughts and they're just like yep that's how it is yeah the um, the nods that they do to kind of like make them look spacey are like it, it's like oh it's Star Wars. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I, look, it's like they have the Han Solo guy driving the yeah. ship. Like it's yeah. it's basically honestly Star Wars. They in terms of like the design and everything, but that's okay. It's like Star Wars meets some of the they film it sometimes like Alien too. When I want to like yes make it look cool inside the ship, but it's I mean yeah I can't exactly give them say that the production design is not insanely derivative. But I also, that doesn't mean that it's also not effective for this movie. And there's so many places where another Friday the 13th would have just gone down paths that we didn't need. So like, we knew from the beginning that KM is an android. Like that should have been pretty clear. Mm -hmm. There was no mystery. There was no surprise. She didn't become evil or somehow Jason didn't manage to download like learn code and somehow like I'll, recode her that is and what I other was friday happen. the 13th yes other friday the 13th would have done that right they would have gone there uh and i was glad that like this one i'm not sure that you would think this upon watching jason x but it is in the franchise rather restrained <laughs> in terms of what it's like allowing itself to to do even as it's you know giving us some great kills and stuff totally agree <laughs> I also appreciated, you know, I think Kane Hodder really is one of one of the greats of Jason. And, you know, and I'm not, that is one of the few things that, that you and I have said about this franchise that's not controversial for the fans, right? A lot of fans sure. really like uh, Kane Hodder. But uh, once again, I think he, he has a task that, of course, Robert England doesn't. Robert England gets to have catchy phrases and gets to, like, say all these, like, lines uh, as, as um, Freddy. And Kana Hodder gets to have his eyes and then his body. And so I think that, once again, he managed to be a distinct character in a way that some of the other Fridays just have been, again, like, oh, yeah, here's a guy that happens to be in a mask. That's interesting. Instead of, like, this is a film about Jason. Yeah, I totally agree. There is some, it's, like, very similar to, like, you can tell when it's, when, like, Robert England is, like, they've, like, his physicality yes. is crucial. Like they were going to replace him in one of the films, but then they saw how terrible it looked. Yes. And producers were like, absolutely, absolutely not. And I feel like although Kane, Hot uh, Kane Hodder was not the first. No. Okay. As Although Kane Hodder was not the first and only played the role four times, I, mm -hmm. I do think that he is that kind. He is that physicality for Jason. He yes. is the peak. And this would be his last appearance before until uh, he came back in 2017 uh, for the video game. Oh, yeah, which is is really neat. The video game uh, is a lot of fun, and and that's truly what I think when you were going to have an adaptation. Um, you know, it's a true homage. Like they love the franchise, and so unlike some of the Freddy uh, remakes where they're like, "What if we told you we hated everything about the original?" Um, you know, the video game is very much like the people who will be playing this are the fans. So it made sense that they got Kane Hodder. They got the music, you know, they went back to Mancini to get the music. So like, you know, it definitely has that that feel to it. So I can see why Ebert, if he's not thinking of this film in the franchise, if he's not thinking of it in sort of the larger context, would give this film a lower score in that it's not very original, We've as we've admitted. For There's sure. not much in the way of a plot. There's really no depth or twists or turns, narratively speaking. And yet, when you put it in context of the the franchise, for people who aren't necessarily fans of the franchise, it's a pretty good film. But you said that it's not for fans, right? I, it was, no, I, I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. Okay. I think it's kind of gone, it's kind of 
this is time has been good to this film i think actually it seems that particularly with like younger generations and fans this is one of the this represents like a place where they're like they they finally got it like that was a good one they got that was a turning point they at least had a distinct vision for it and so i think while initially when it came out interest has really grown in it and i mean it was featured on mythbusters for freaking I mean, like they tested that. Was it really <laughs> the head, the head thing, the head smash thing? Is that how it would have worked? I don't remember the answer okay. to that, but I do remember watching that uh, in science class uh, in my in my public <laughs> high school. Uh, sometimes uh, our our chemistry teacher would not be there, and so we would just have a substitute, and we would watch MythBusters. So I've watched so Amazing. much MythBusters. So I remember this. I remember this scene from that episode because they show part of it obviously wow. con- contextualize that. but i didn't remember it i didn't really remember that it was from jason until i watched it here and i was like i have to double check right? double check because it resurfaced memories from like my 10th grade chemistry class that's fantastic that's fantastic i also want to talk about the humor because it's very early 2000s sarcastic sort of meta right there's a couple of lines before a couple of characters die or nearly die. So there's that scene where the the head, he's the one who oversees all the grunts. The the knife goes through him and he's like, it'll take a lot more than a single knife to and through the gut to kill me. And then, you know, a second one goes through and he's like, that'll do it. You know, and then like his head yes. lulls. Uh, or when one of the female characters there at the end is is about to be sucked through the, the grate. Um, and she's like, this really sucks, you know, and then she gets sucked through. So there were these moments that, again, like, you could tell that they just had fun writing this. And I, I think that their desire or having not be the goal to uh, make a an Oscar, I can't say it with a straight face, an Oscar winning uh, Friday the 13th allowed them to just have fun. And you can see that fun happening through yeah. the script, through the acting, kind of through all of it. I, I think some of my favorite details in that vein were their world building in quotes, like yes. that they would do, like. When they find Jason and they're like, oh, what's that on his face? Oh, it's a protection That's... device from a sport that was outlawed in 2024. Yes, referring to hockey. And I'm like, oh my yes. gosh, that's so dumb. Or she, yes. uh, when uh, Rowan picks up the gun and she's like, uh, it's like riding a bike. And they're like, what's a bike? And you're like, what's 400? Yes. <laughs> Those weird... And then there was that weird... Yeah. Moment where the when the researcher or the head guy is talking to the person on the screen and the guy's like, oh, you don't know who, you know, I know who Jason Voorhees is from 430 years ago. And it was like, just, you're right. In their world building, there were so many sort of great moments. One of my favorite final scenes was when they are creating the um, the world for Jason to be in that's set in the 1980s Camp Crystal Lake. And the yes. girls are like, I love premarital, premarital sex and drugs. Like, again, just that sort of like acknowledgement of, of the goofiness of it uh, that allows us to actually have a great final moment, right? So, you know, Jason's coming at them and then uh, the head leader of the grunt manages to push them and become a falling star onto Earth 2. And then there's the kids at, at the lake that are like, let's go check it out. It seems to be by the lake. So, you know, again, just some really like funny referential moments that again is very much within the zeitgeist of of the early 2000s horror i think this one does function it just is a super fun like particularly when you think about it as like this is their like weird offshoot that they made while their other movie was in creative hell and so like they 
it's gonna be like a, a non sequitur essentially totally unrelated yes. it's out of time 400 years yes. in the future and then you get to and then it ends in a way that like i guess you could follow it up but it's clearly just like yes. this is this is the the cycle continues kind of motif and yeah i this one's a lot of fun i think it definitely sets you up well particularly for where the franchise is going as well mm-hmm. we're talking about a little bit about that before uh, we hopped on the pod Knowing where it goes with uh, Freddy versus Jason, I think this film falls much more in line with the Jason that they continue in that film. Yes. Um. But and so, but yeah, I this is a real high point for the franchise. I really like what you just said about this film, like acknowledging that it is an outlier, because I think that's been part of the challenge with this franchise is that they keep trying to make everything be canonical, but that but they're also trying to introduce. You know, the, there was the one that was like the Carrie versus Jason-esque feel. Her name wasn't Carrie. I can't remember her name now. But the one with the telekinesis or Jason takes Manhattan or really any of them after the final chapter that just like feel like they're trying so hard to make it fit within this world. And yet it somehow couldn't be farther away. And yet Jason X clearly was like, we're just going to ha- take a small break, go to space for a little while. And yet, like you said, it really actually fits better in the franchise than some of the other ones yeah and i I mean maybe it does there's an argument that it fits better within like those weird one-off the franchise goes to space movies but it's a good one it's a fun it's a fun one i think it shows you why that genre was effective i guess for a little while because it can be fun when executed correctly although uh it was not not well received at the time uh it was it was a let me let me double check this Pretty sad. Yeah. So its budget was uh, reportedly somewhere between 11 and 14 million, and it grossed around 17 million in total at the box office, which is bad. Yeah. Good by like today's standards where films are not even recouping their losses, but bad for for the early 2000s where, you know. Certainly. Certainly bad for the early 2000s, particularly when you assume that that budget doesn't even factor in the advertising cost for the film so like but maybe it made i it seems to have like we were like i was alluding to earlier it does seem to have gotten a bit of a cultural re-examination by fans uh it's uh it it lives on tubi that's where i watched it yes yes and it at the time was better received and like obviously ebert didn't receive it well but it was received well in the uk with a quote of it was wittily scripted, smartly directed, and well played by an unfamiliar cast. This is a real treat for all those who have suffered through the story so far. So, you know, within context, it's not that bad. So we are fast approaching the end of our Friday the 13th franchise. That's correct. Yeah, we're we only have one more film that we have not discussed on the podcast. And I'm choosing yes. my wording carefully because that's not Yes, you are not the there is technically two more uh in in the franchise, as keen observers are probably already typing, furiously typing, but we have actually already covered uh Freddy versus Jason. We in our work through of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, we we watched that film then. We talked about it at but we are still we are going to include a bit of a discussion of that film uh, in our conversation of the final uh, Friday the Thirteenth film, which is the remake that yes that came 2009 out 2009 film yes yeah so 
I don't know that we would have enough for an entire episode looking at Freddy versus Jason again, but this will be the first time for both of us that we will have seen that film after having seen both franchises in all of their completion. So yeah. I'm particularly excited because I have always felt like Freddy versus Jason really clearly makes Freddy the star and, and Jason, you know, just happens to be the other killer. But I'll be curious to know if, you know, having now followed his his weird little story, if it will feel a little bit more evenly weighted or if it really is just a film that prioritizes one of our two villains. And, and I don't know yet. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the film. At some point, we may, if it ever releases, have to watch some of the TV show Crystal Lake uh, and see how that is. But that hasn't released. And of course, you know, everything is just kind of up in the clouds about when things will happen. But... We have been alternating every other episode, which is why it has taken us like a year to get through the Friday the 13th franchise. So we'll put a pin in that last film. And our next episode is going to be on what? So we're going to go, we're picking a modern film. We're going to be exploring yes. 2023's Five Nights at Freddy's. We're going to do, this is our first video game adaptation. I think so, because I don't think we've done any Resident Evils or Silent Hills. I don't think so. We've we've talked. I know yeah. we've talked about those before. Yes, we've and at some sequences, day, and we should probably yes. talk about them. I would love to, and it's and someday I would really like to do a episode by episode of The Last of Us. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, that would be good. But but you're right. This is our first. We've done books to film, and we've done you know films to books, but we've we've never done one where it's coming from a video game. And you said that you actually played when you were little I, Five Nights at Freddy. I did. I can more more on that in the in the full episode. Yes. But yes, uh, for if you want to hear stories about the terror of playing Five Nights at Freddy's on the band bus, <laughs> then you're going to have to tune in because that is a that's a real horror story right there. Oh my gosh, that's that's such a nerdy story though from like first word to last of band bus. But yep, there it is. So we'll get to be have further confirmation that Little Tony was delightfully nerdy. So if you haven't had a chance to see Five Nights, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, no doubt in my mind. So if you haven't yet seen Five Nights at Freddy, you can see it certainly by the time this episode comes out. Uh, it will definitely because it's already streaming. It will definitely be available not just in theaters. And as always, I want to quickly thank Jackson O'Brien, who is our editor and managed to more or less cover up the moment where I just started coughing unexpectedly in this episode and always makes us sound so very smart. Thank you, Jackson. Cheers to you, Jackson. Thank you. And to all of you, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day. Bye.